Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Hello, my name is Robert Kopecki, and I am a three-time near-death experience survivor. I'm also a lifelong uh, cartoonist and sort of started out as a kid uh, traveling around a lot. And I didn't really realize maybe I was looking for a spiritual life. Uh, at the time, I got involved in martial arts and stuff, and that was a little bit of woo-woo. I learned some meditation then when I was a kid, but I traveled very widely. I ended up becoming a commercial artist and illustrator and cartoonist and made a career out of that. And it was um, in that context, in the course of that, the places that I ended up doing that, that the three near-death experiences occurred. I think I could preface it by saying that they didn't really affect me. They didn't really land on me at the time. I kind of tried to ignore them or suppress them as is the case with a lot of near-death experiencers, I think. And back in the day, my first one was in um, the mid-80s, there was not much support for it. There were not many people who um, showed much interest in it or even believed in it as a, a possibility at that time. Of course, now we've learned a lot more and there are a lot more experiencer stories coming to light. And I've been very involved with the um, International Association for Near-Death Studies as a presenter and the like. They have a great website. They keep all kinds of stories uh, and tell all kinds of stories and have all kinds of opportunities for people to tell stories. So I've been a part of that. Uh, my first near-death experience happened um, when I was in my mid-20s, mid to late 20s, and that was in the mid-80s. I was living in Los Angeles and I was an illustrator and an art director. And I was driving home on an unfamiliar road at dusk one evening. I had an equipment failure that led to me glancing off of a parked car and I ended up in a single car accident driving into a light pole, like a telephone pole, probably about 35 or 40 miles an hour, something like that. I broke out the windshield with my head, even though I had a harness on, I broke out the windshield with my head and I bent the steering wheel with my face. That's what happened to it, <laughs> wondering. The very next instant, I found myself at the top of the telephone pole. And I was looking down, it was dusk. The light on top of the telephone pole was starting to go on. And I remember as soon as it started to snap on, there was a, a, 
a, bu a little bug, like a moth or something that started to kind of fly around it. And beneath me, underneath me, there was this car kind of caved in, the front end caved in and the hood popped open and steam coming out of it and fluid running onto the ground and stuff. And then I'd, I noticed that there was an arm hanging out the window. And about that time, from where I was, I could look over hedges into this neighborhood I'd never been in, kind of a suburban neighborhood. I could look over hedges into people's backyards and the like. And I started to see lights snap on and people coming out of their back doors and stuff, coming out under the street because of the sound of, of the accident. And I realized at that moment that I was looking at myself. It was my car and that there was my arm and people started to come out and I heard somebody say, call for an ambulance. But I was perfectly fine at the time. I was in fact kind of better than fine. I had an experience that I had in all three of the near-death experiences where all the sort of constraints were off. I, I felt completely free. I felt liberated of any kind of material confinement or containment. And mentally as well, I felt like my mind was part of a greater mind. So I just felt kind of wrapped in love and warm and at ease and comfortable. I was concerned because I was trying to communicate with the people on the ground uh, that were taking care of the accident, but nobody could hear me. And at the same time, I had the uh, distinct, definite sense of another presence with me, that there was somebody up and to my left, so to speak, and they were sort of prompting me. I didn't turn around and shake their hand or meet them or something. In fact, I didn't have hands. I don't remember having a body. I, I remember seeing, but I was witnessing my body below being taken out of the car and put into a, an ambulance. And I continued to try to contact people down below, but I couldn't. And then this, um, this entity behind me started shepherded me off, told me that it was, it was time to leave. And I had no problem at all with releasing it. I just, I was totally agreeable. Like I said, I didn't have the same sort of serial cascading thoughts and uh, sort of engagement in life with things being overly important or necessary. I was very liberated. I felt very free and very comfortable. And so off I went. And as I recall it, I was kind of uh, flying so to speak, through kind of clouds, the warm gray kind of clouds. And I don't remember exactly uh, how we arrived, but we ended up, I ended up, and this it was, it was shepherding, so to speak, in a very sort of bucolic place, kind of a pastoral place, like a park or a, um, just nature. You know, it seemed like there was a, a place, almost like a cafe, out like an outdoor cafe, almost like a table or something, although I don't remember the physicality of it to that degree. I had the sense that there were other entities within this sort of pastoral area that was park-like, trees and, and meadows and the like. And there, this entity, I presume it was this same entity, was, was with me. And we engaged in this conversation, the details of which I don't really remember distinctly, 
But I do remember that it was important. It was all about important stuff. I'm not sure exactly what we were all figuring out then because I don't remember exactly uh, what it was about. It's went on for some length of time. And again, uh, time was pretty immediate. I had no sense of a clock ticking at all. I don't really remember it in distinct detail. So when I say personages, it may be just my imposition of what I would like it to have been. My memory is not so solid that I could tell you that this was a person that I was talking to or that we talked about this or that. But about, it turns out as the clock went, about 20 hours later or so, I, um, I regained consciousness in a hospital and my head was all bandaged up. And at the time I didn't have any health insurance. And so I think it was the next day or so, they basically wheeled me down to the loading dock kind of in the back of the, of the hospital and put me in a cab and the cab took me home. And that was my, my first near-death experience. And I tell these experiences as they were. I don't go back into things that I might have further realizations I might have made about them because I know that, uh, that human memory is very unreliable and that we have a tendency to add on things that may not have actually been the case. And it's miraculous enough as it, as it was. But the thing that I took away from that, I call it the gift of perspective, of spiritual perspective, is this understanding that we are these disembodiable energy beings that are simply attached to this body in this plane, in this materiality. And that, um, you know, we'll get knocked out of it, we'll be out of it, and you'll hear lots of near-death experiences along that lines, the out-of-body experience uh, that I had. So I'm always able to relate to life now with that kind of spiritual perspective, seeing people as being these carriers of this consciousness and this sort of packages of karma that filter through the experience of this life, through this body and its constraints. And that each one of us is an individual in that respect and all have our own stories. Uh, but that when we detach a little bit with compassionate detachment, so to speak, we can recognize ourselves as all part of this same loving intelligence. Uh, so I call that the gift of spiritual perspective. My second near-death experience happened about five or six years later. I had had a marriage end and I had moved to New York City and I was doing my career rather successfully there. At the time I was very busy, but I also lived a riotous lifestyle, so to speak, where I was pretty um, no holds barred and kind of self-destructive. And it ended up in this particular circumstance where um, I had this kind of series of physical breakdowns that happened in a fairly short period of time. I'd been just pushing myself too hard and I started to break down, to kind of fall out. And I realized that I was at a party, of course, and I didn't live far away. I made it back to my apartment. But as soon as I walked in the door, I really started shutting down. And I fell onto the floor with my head propped against the wall. And I was with my girlfriend at the time, and she was very upset because I seemed to be in bad shape. And her voice started to elevate, and she started kind of crying and stuff. And as I was laying there, unable to really move from the neck down, 
unable to really feel my body at all, the room started to fill in with this brilliant sort of white cloud, as it were, this, this very radiant white, like being inside of a bright white cloud. And once again, I uh, did not feel alone. I felt like I had this entity behind me again. And uh, once again, I was delivered to this place that had sort of uh, no limitations. I was freed from the constraints of my body. And also I had that sense, it was maybe a little less this time, but I had that sense of my mind being part of a larger mind, of being rather limitless. But it, it was kind of a more constrained or more defined uh, in this experience because of the nature of it. This entity sort of directed me to look in a certain direction within this cloud and something like a screen opened up as I looked into this white brilliance. And I started to uh, witness these scenes from my life, not like a movie, but more like a box of time that I sort of re-entered. And so I was experiencing these in the moment, in real time. And I had maybe four, five, six of these. I can't tell you the exact details of them, although I have had recollections uh, more as time has gone on about uh, what I think happened in them, but I don't really include them uh, too much in, in retelling the story because like I said, I tell you the story that I remember like the next day. And the way that I remember it the next day is that each one of these life circumstances that I witnessed, each one of these scenes from my life, were of something important happening that I hadn't really been present for. Me injuring somebody and not realizing I was injuring them. Uh, me being offered a great opportunity and being too fearful to take it or being too arrogant or for some reason just overlooking it. Each one of these were these circumstances where had I been present, they may have been life-changing experiences, um, but I wasn't there for them. I was uh, into my own stuff. I was worrying about myself and thought that I had things figured out a certain way. This wasn't it, et cetera, et cetera. And so, after a little while of this, and I don't know how many of these uh, scenes I witnessed, but enough to recognize that time is a much more theoretical thing than as we experience in this biological sense here in this world, in these bodies. It doesn't necessarily progress from beginning to end. It could be happening all at the same time. I'm seeing different parts of my life. And this is a life review. It's another sort of a classic motif for near-death experiences. I came back from it by just starting to have the outside world enter into the cloud again. I started hearing the voice of my girlfriend and she was really panicking. And I think it had been just a matter of maybe, I don't know, 10 minutes or something kind of total. This was the only near-death experience I had where I wasn't hospitalized or given medical treatment. So this was totally anecdotal, although all spiritual experience is totally anecdotal, really. But the outside world started to penetrate in again, and the cloud that I was in started to kind of fade out, and the reality of the room, 
the sort of harshness and, and starkness of it and sharpness started to come back in, penetrate again. And I started to feel my body uh, a little bit and come back into it. And the next thing I knew, I was just in the room again. My girlfriend was uh, sobbing and uh, I was starting to feel my body from the neck down, starting to move. And it took me about a half an hour or so to get so that I could stand back up and stuff like that. And that was my second near-death experience. And that one, in retrospect, and after years of meditation, uh, really these stories all came back to me after I suppressed them, rather. I realized that this was the gift, gave me the gift of presence, this realization that everything we do is right now, that right now is the time that all of life happens that it's in this moment we have the opportunity to create our karma, so to speak, or to address our karma, to make up for the things we've done, to create our path forward, to uh, condition aspects of our life so that we end up going in a certain, like cultivating character, for example, something I hadn't considered before all of this came to me. And so that gift of presence, of spiritual presence, of knowing that this moment is when life happens, whether you're alive or dead. I was in the afterlife and it was still in this moment. This moment didn't change. I was there then, now. So that was the gift of spiritual presence. The third and hopefully last one, yeah, you know, it's like, how many does it take? because uh, neither of those two really changed my life. I went back to the life I had been living, more or less, with not a lot of changes. I mean, I dialed it back after my second near-death experience, but I, nonetheless, I lived a world of, of material concerns and expectations and fears and resentments and judgments and comparisons and all of that kind of stuff. It didn't work very well for me. I continued to be successful and by a lot of standards. I left my life in New York City and I moved to the desert southwest to Arizona and I was going to get married. It was a Super Bowl Sunday. I was in a college town and I went and watched the Super Bowl with some friends of mine. And afterwards I went out and I'm still tell you how long ago this was. There was a payphone. I called my fiance on a payphone and she was baking at home. And as I was talking to her on the phone, big, um, you call them skinheads, kind of a neo-Nazi kind of a kid, like a big guy who was drunk, uh, came up and started to assault me. I had been going back and forth to New York and I was dressed in kind of city fashion compared to a lot of the people around me. And so he kind of picked me out, I think that way, and he started to assault me while I was on the phone. And he reached in and hung up the phone on me, the payphone on me while I was uh, talking to my fiance. And so I, I hung up the phone and I calmed him down. I kind of talked him down and he eased him away and he seemed to go away. I called my fiance back and he came back. And he came back, he was much more aggressive and he was really assaulting me. And having had some of the, of the martial arts training that I had as a childhood, I made a terrible mistake that I will never do again. I planted my back foot and when he pushed me, I punched him right on the chin just boom. And uh, he fell backwards. I knocked him out. He fell backwards. And there were people around and they applauded actually because they had witnessed this whole thing. And so they, I guess they thought it was great. 
I immediately felt a little sick, you know, a little uh, worried. And so I got out of there. I had ridden a bicycle, so I jumped on the bike and I was taking off and I didn't realize that this guy was not alone, that there was a van full of these kind of guys who had watched the whole thing and they followed me for a while. I didn't know they were there and they pulled up alongside of me and hit me in the back of the head as I was riding my bicycle with a tire iron or a crowbar, something like that and knocked me headfirst into the street, into the gutter. Then apparently, according to the police report, which I didn't see for almost two years after that, uh, they stomped and kicked me while I was unconscious, sort of back and forth from their van for a while. For me, this was sort of the most temporal of the near-death experiences I had. There was nothing um, sort of classically heavenly about it. The experience was of being maybe kind of underground or in sort of a womb-like chamber. And I was laying on my back and I had entities around me, standing around me. Again, I felt uh, safe and warm, cared for. I was even more, I think, within myself still, sort of like relating to it as a, as a human, not as a disembodied ethereal spirit, but kind of as a, a guy who was in this situation. And I had this uh, sensation that just outside the room, there was some kind of terrible violence going on, uh, which I imagine was me being unconscious and them continu continuing to stomp and kick me and stuff. I had a bad feeling that this was not going to last, that I wasn't going to remain safe. And I didn't uh, really engage directly with any of these entities, but they were all kind of uh, talking amongst themselves and then came to me telling me that I had not gotten here when I was supposed to or the right way and that I needed to go back. And I did not want to go back. I started struggling against it. You know, I'd had it with all that. It was enough. But... The way that I remember it, they lifted me up and it was almost as though a whole bunch of hands pushed me through a, um, a kind of like a membrane, through a little wall kind of, and I kind of popped out on the other side of it. And when that happened, I opened my eyes. I was laying on my back in the street and there was an emergency medical worker over me. And he looked down at me and then looked up to the guy that he was with and said, he's back. And that was my least favorite near-death experience. It was certainly the most painful one. But when I came back, I had no choice but to consider the fact that um, I was forced back into this life for some reason. Likewise, as with my other two, I tried to suppress that and I went on with life after that and lived fairly continued success. I moved back to New York and I just really had a hard time sort of coming to terms with being a regular person anymore. Then I was present at 9-11 and I was in downtown Manhattan when it happened. 
And I had this intense sense of being surrounded by disembodied spirits. I remember standing on the street and thinking, well, this isn't normal. I don't think that most people are having this experience. They certainly didn't seem to be. I didn't put it together with the near-death experiences, the three that I had. But shortly after that, I got a small cabin, the upper Delaware River, which was really out in the middle of nowhere. And I essentially sat on a rock by the upper Delaware River for years. <laughs> I developed a, a meditation practice and I got heavily into reading about spirituality, into reading scripture and physics and uh, religion and all kinds of subject matter that I had not been interested in at all up to that point. And as I um, sat on this rock and meditated about these things, this need to relate these experiences arose in me. And I was uh, kind of called on to start writing. And I did. I was doing animation design at the time, and I had a blog that I was posting animation art on. And I started putting up these uh, essays about spirituality. And I started getting contacted by spiritual websites and publications and the like. And the next thing I knew, I was writing for a number of, uh, I was on Beliefnet or on Gaia.com, things like that. You can find my stuff still. I kind of channeled my first book, which is called um, How to Survive Life and Death. And I almost immediately got a publisher without having any experience and it was published and I found myself suddenly part of the near-death experience community and speaking at uh, conferences and the like, being invited to speak at conferences. And um, that led to, uh, to my second book, which is um, How to Get to Heaven Without Really Dying. I find myself talking to a lot of people, helping a lot of people. I'm always mentoring a few people and trying to pass on these three lessons that I learned, the lesson of spiritual perspective, the lesson of spiritual presence, and the third lesson that I got from that final painful, I hope final painful NDE, which was the uh, spiritual purpose that each of us is here for a reason. We are these packages of karma and we have circles that we need to connect in our lives. And while I might have imagined my life to be like a movie where I, maybe I was James Bond or something, I've discovered it's really much more like a low-budget indie documentary kind of, with, <laughs> you know, where I'm more like a character actor. And I'm not doing anything that's it's all that fabulous lots of times, but just the things that I can do for people, um, the service that I can be of, to my family, to friends, to people that have concerns or interests in life and death issues that I, by one way or another, by one means or another, I happen to know a little bit more about. We don't die. We are packages of karma that we are creating and that we will carry with us into our next existences after this. I was alive before I was born, I'm sure. I don't remember that. Those are things that I talk about quite a bit now, and it's a great pleasure to have the opportunity to share them with you here now. And uh, if there's a takeaway, it is to remove the obstacles to love in your life, because love is a field of being that we are all part of, that there is a divine consciousness 
that we are all expressions of and that all of this is an expression of and that if you focus on the idea that you're a spirit having a physical existence you can have that kind of spiritual perspective if you realize that now is always now in any life you'll ever have now is when you can do what you need to do uh, then you'll have that spiritual presence and if you know that i can't tell you why or what it is all about but it is about something and it's about our something so you're here for a reason you do something that nobody else can do you can do something that nobody else can do and that's your purpose it might be right under your nose but you need to live it and uh, those are my near-death experience stories i hope you enjoyed them and got something from them thank you we all fall in love.